0: There is always a lesson and it's not always clear straight away, but there's usually something, some point of growth, something that it taught you from. Another one I really like is you never know what worse luck your bad luck saved you from. Mm. So in the case of setbacks or failures in business, for example, even though they feel like the end of the world at the time. I always think, well, this has saved me because I've learned not to make those mistakes next time when it could have been much bigger. Like yeah. if I made a five thousand dollar mistake, that saved me from ever making that again when it's a fifty thousand dollar mistake. Yeah, and I, th- I think re- resilience isn't not reacting when something bad happens or like you know snapping back from it straight away. It's actually the ability to let yourself go through really tough times feel those things take the pause that you need to but then find the lesson and learn from every single one of those
1: welcome to the balance theory a podcast aimed at arming you with tools and tips so that you are well equipped to not only identify and define but own your own definition of balance i'm your host erica and thank you for joining me today hey balancers and welcome back to another episode of the balance theory podcast I hope you've all been enjoying the double episodes, the meditations and all the fun things we've been doing for the birthday, including the giveaways. I've had a lot of fun putting this month together, so I hope you're equally loving the momentum. Can't promise I can give you guys this much content every month. It has been a lot to put together, but as I said, loads of fun. So I will try and throw in some bonuses here and there when I can, especially because you guys are giving me such amazing feedback on it too. Just a little update from me and kind of fitting uh, in and amongst the discussion we'll be having today, but one of my like kind of self care or unwind practices is bath time. I love having a bath. I love just jumping there, either reading or just watching something. And I thought I was like one of those people that like had my bath routine down pat. You know, like I know about the radox magnesium. I have my bath salts. Thought I had had it all in the bag, but I've never actually just like put on some candles and turned off the light. And wow, like. Makes you feel like you're in some clouded pool of heaven. I don't know, just the ambience was like next level. So I'm dethroning myself as bath queen. Uh, So if anyone else has suggestions on how to make that more magical or just more relaxing, feel free to hit me up. But that's also a tip for anyone who hasn't tried it. Really took that experience just... another relaxation point and also really nice for late at night so any bath lovers thank me later or maybe you're laughing at me because i've never done that in my life but anyway that's my small little self-care update for the week i don't want to waste too much time rambling at the start of this episode because It is jam-packed with so much goodness. I was so excited to interview Sarah. I have been following not only her podcast, CZA, for a very long time, but I've recently also finished her book, and she is literally a ball of joy. She is so down-to-earth, very clever, and so generous with her insights and time. So I can't wait for you guys to listen to everything we spoke about today. A couple of my favorite things we dove into include this concept of sort of just going along through life, cruising and not really questioning what you're doing. So the idea there is you might just be doing things by default and you may not necessarily be unhappy, but have you made a choice to be doing those things? Have you sat down and questioned whether those are the things that make you happy? And as I said, a lot of us wouldn't have done this because if you're not actively unhappy, you won't really go out of your way to make change. But we kind of go into a little bit of a discussion about why this is important And actively choosing your life, even if you don't make any changes, then that's still kind of making an active choice. So I love this concept. And that's really how Seizing Your Yay came to be as a concept. We also talk a lot about sliding doors moments or happy accidents, as she calls them, which really changed the trajectory of her life. So for those of you who don't know, Sarah was a lawyer and she transitioned out into a business that also happened by accident. And then the podcast and so forth came as a byproduct of that. So I love her story. It's very, very cool. I also threw a bit of a spanner at her and asked her how she seizes her nay. So as you all know, when I talk about balance, it's about the bad days as much as it is the good days. And so I always love asking the guests how they seize their nay, how they make the most of their bad days or how they kind of approach those. If they have a routine or if there's something they default to, because I think that really helps us in accepting our own humanity and acknowledging that these things do happen. We have a little bit of a chat about failure and rewiring that. So she always goes on about failing forwards, which I love as a concept in and amongst itself. If you're someone who's sitting there with a massive dream or you really want to start something, we go into this idea that you need to dream big, but small enough to actually start, which makes these goals, which sometimes feel really overwhelming and inaccessible, quite tangible. So you're going to love that section as well. And then lastly, we chat a little bit about self-care and why it shouldn't be really like a box ticking exercise and why it really needs to be something that helps you decompress. I'm so excited for you to listen to this episode. I've honestly already listened to it multiple times and taken away so many new things. So I know you're going to love it. Feel free to take a screenshot, tag myself and Sarah. Her IG is in the show notes below. Let us know what your biggest takeaway was. And of course, knowledge is always better if it's shared. So feel free to send this over to a friend or family member who's going to love it as much as you. And you can also leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts so that future balancers also know where to come if they want to be on the same journey as you. Enjoy the episode, guys. Can't wait to hear your thoughts. Today, I'm joined by the incredible Sarah Davidson from Seize the Yay. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. No, It's such a pleasure. I know we've been back and forth, but I'm so glad we finally made it happen. As I was just <laughs> saying to you off air, I've been a big fan for a long time of both the podcast and recently of the book. So it's really exciting to be able to pick your brain on all things yay and your journey and everything else we're going to chat about today.
0: Oh, I'm so excited. Thank you so much. And it's so funny to get to chat to people who are exactly where I remember being not that long ago. I get so excited for you. I'm like, I just said to you before we started recording, like this is the bit where you start agitating for the next chapter and it's really overwhelming and
1: nerve wracking, but it's so exciting. Yes, I know. I couldn't agree more. And we'll we'll have a chat about, you know, getting started and dealing those feelings of overwhelm too, which I'm sure I'm going to, not only myself, but all listeners will take a lot out from. But before we (laughs) dive into uh, the nitty gritty questions, I wanted to ask you just a few quick fire questions just so we can all get to know you a little bit better. So the first one is, I know you're a fellow Harry Potter lover, but the real question, (laughs) the real question is, which one's your favorite? Which character? Or which Sorry, part. which movie, which movie is your favourite?
0: Oh my God, that is such a hard, it's like choosing your favourite child. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were all so magical for me for different reasons. I think the first...
1: Like if you had to watch one right now, which one would you put on? Oh, okay. Ooh,
0: I'd probably put on... Oh my gosh. Probably the fourth one. Oh, that's my favorite too. Yeah. I just, I really love Goblet of Fire. Yeah, I think so. I think that's, that's my one. If I had to read it again, though, I loved the last one because yeah. it, it tied everything in my life together. Like <laughs> I spent, you know, my whole childhood and like my whole twenties reading each book and then the way that everything links together, it just gives me goosebumps every single time and it all makes sense. And all the like, Yeah. Oh, I get goosebumps just thinking about it, but I don't like watching it as much because it's like super scary
1: also. Um, yes, I like yeah. that too. And it got like so much darker as the movies went on. Like if you watch the first one to the last one, I'm like, this is like 20 years worth of like viewer, viewers difference for sure. <laughs>
0: Oh, she's clearly writing and developing the story for us. Like who started reading when we were 13, because I'm like, yeah. this is not a, it's no longer a kid's book. This yeah. is horrifying. Dementors are really scary. <laughs> they are. Lucky the. <laughs> <in this> world. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I love the tournament when all the different schools
1: come like, yeah, I love that one. That's also my favorite one too. All right. My second question is, I know you have this great sloth Sunday ritual. What's your favorite thing to actually do on a sloth Sunday? <laughs> well, I actually do
0: very little on a sloth Sunday, including I try and not even exercise because that is not what a sloth would do. You know, that's too much movement. And- <laughs>
1: what would a sloth do? That's a good <laughs> <bad one. laughs>
0: Yeah, not exercise. Like I'm trying to move as little as possible. Even though exercise is obviously good for you, it's something <laughs> that is still productive for me. Like it's still something I tick the box. So my favorite thing to do is have a bath. I love baths. Uh, actually, a couple of people since Victoria has been in lockdown again, have been like, you've been eating every meal in the bath. Like, do you ever get out of there? <laughs> like, actually, not really. So I love baths and I love getting into a really good crime book, but reading the whole thing cover to cover in one sitting, which literally means not moving for multiple hours of a day. But the only day I would ever let myself do that is Sunday. Yeah. But to read it like If you try and read during the week, especially fiction, I feel like I break it up into bits and then I have to reread the last few pages because I've already forgotten what happened. Whereas if you read it all in one go, it's like watching a movie. Yes, totally. (laughs) And it's
1: like one of those things like when you, well, I love listening to crime podcasts. That's like a weird variant of podcasts I like every now and again, but you can't half listen to it because you're just like left wondering what if. Absolutely. And then like by the time I start
0: re-listening, so I find Case File is so good because mainly like his voice is very monotonous, but mainly it's because there's a new episode. Like he's the only one that can keep up with my thirst for new episodes. But yeah, because he sounds the same in every single episode, if I stop and then wait two days and get back in the car and re-listen, I, I'm like, who's the main character? Why are they in an alleyway? Like what is even happening here? Because I just forget what's happened. <laughs>
1: I know what you mean. Totally. <laughs> it's a dilemma. <laughs> it is in, ter- in a turmoil in that one. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and my last quick fire question for you is if you were stuck in an island, one food only, what would it be? Oh man, that's so hard. I feel like I'm putting you in a lot of like prickly situations right we'll now. I feel prickly. <laughs>
0: real prickly, like straight into it. Normal, I can answer work questions, career questions, but like these ones, they go straight to we, my core.
1: I thought these were like <laughs> a quick fire, like get to know you. I've really like no, <laughs> opened up the gray area.
0: <laughs> but I feel like this is getting to know me more because you see the, how much I agonize oh, over process. like seemingly basic questions. <laughs> so it would be probably pink lady apples. They're like my ultimate favorite thing to eat but then also avocado and maybe peanut butter so it's kind of like a three-way tie but if I really had to choose and because I'm a high achiever I feel like I have to choose because you asked me for one thing I'm gonna say pink lady apples but none of this like royal gala jazz apple bullshit
1: like only pink lady got it got it
0: (laughs) thank you for sharing
1: (laughs) Now you know me really well. (laughs) I do. And I feel like those are are questions I haven't heard you answer before. So I'm hoping everyone else got to know you a little bit deeper too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now on to, I guess, a little bit more of an in-depth dive into your story, your transition. I know we were just chatting a little bit off air, how you, you know, sort of started in corporate, you were a lawyer, which is the same place that I'm in right now. And then you ventured out into your side biz and podcasting. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about that journey Uh, What it looked like and what was the catalyst for you to, you know, chop and change what you were doing with yourself?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So similar to you started in corporate and as we were just discussing off air, you know, I think the reason why so many lawyers do end up making a bit of a pivot or a jump in their career is because a lot of us choose to study law, not because we necessarily want to be lawyers, but because it is such a good grounding or launch pad or platform for sort of anything you want to do it's very broad uh I always I think I really going all the way back to the very beginning I can it only makes sense if I explain right from the start I was firstly adopted uh from an orphanage in South Korea um I have been here since I was six months old and have no traumatic memories or anything but That has always left me with a very keen fascination in with sliding doors moments, um, and the fact that it could you know life could have been very different, Uh, and also an intense gratitude for making the most of every opportunity. So all my life, I've been a fascinated by how different things could be, but for you know one or, or two small decisions, but b so keen to make the most of everything. And by that, I mean, all through school, all through uni, I always did everything. I was like, I can't waste my life here that I've been given in what I think is the luckiest country in the world. So I've always been what I call equal parts, nerd burger and arty farty. I've always loved academics. I cried in prep on the first day when we didn't get homework. I've loved maths and sciences and have that really science based kind of rational side of my brain. But I've also always been really creative. So like from the great crayon, wall incident of you know 1993 I've always (laughs) loved to draw and dance and express myself creatively as well and that that sort of tension I think having you know being multi-passionate as we now call it although there really wasn't a word to describe it for most of my childhood having a lot of interests is wonderful and it means that I I have had the fullest life, a really beautiful full childhood, a great time at school because I did do a lot of academics and lots of extracurricular activities all the way through. But it means that when it comes to crunch time and you actually have to choose a career path, it's almost more difficult if you have more passions because... I wasn't that kid that woke up and was like, I want to be a doctor. So my subject choices are clear. So my life path is clear. I was like, I love everything. I'm grateful for everything. I want to try everything. What career does that leave for me? And so I ended up in law as a process of elimination. I worked really hard in school to get a good score, not knowing what it was for. And then when I did get a good score, I didn't want to waste any of those points and I hated blood. So law was literally like the one broad you know broadly applicable um, transferable skill based degree uh, and to kind of continue that those two sides of my personality i did arts law so that law would satisfy the real intellectual stimulation side of me and arts would allow me to continue with my languages and the humanities and and that kind of thing uh, and then again by the time by the end of uni i still hadn't really figured out what my unique I I see things as kind of a Venn diagram, what you love and what you're good at. And in the middle where they cross over is like where the magic happens. I still didn't know what that translated to in terms of a career. And like many of us, when I finished school, I didn't even know what careers even existed. I literally thought there was like doctor, teacher, lawyer, nurse, and that's it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, to be fair, I feel like we do live in a society now where it's just careers like being created out of thin air. You know what I mean?
0: Mm. Which is why it's the most exciting time to be alive. Yeah. I think it's such an exciting time. I mean, like every career path has been democratized and there are so many gray areas and there are really, you know, it's, it's the one time in life in many, many generations or ever, really, that you can really craft your life around exactly who you are and make a career out of it, which is so exciting. But being on the cusp of that coming out of uni is sort of makes it impossible to figure out what you want to do. So I started uh, at a top tier international law firm. I was so incredibly lucky to get a job at all. I'd just been through the GFC at the time that I was at uni. And so there was never, ever a question of like... What I'm now so passionate about is, you know, obviously seizing your yay and separating joy from being busy and and success from happiness and all that kind of thing. But I had never even indulged in those kind of thoughts about what I want to do versus what I should because I was just grateful to have a job at all. And I spent the first again, um, you know, following on from that mentality of making the most of everything and leaving no stone unturned. I was just so grateful to be there that I was like, I am going to just make the most of this position. I'm going to learn from the incredibly intelligent people who were my bosses and senior associates. And everyone around me was just so smart. And it was such a wonderful place to start my career. So I was never actually unhappy as a corporate. And now what I talk about so much is that I don't really worry about people who are actively unhappy where they are. And if you are unhappy, you'll probably know it. Like if you're feeling really dissatisfied with where you are, you eventually get to a turning point where it all gets too much. You take control of the situation and you make a change because the discomfort is too great for you. Who I worry about is former me. The people who are so blinded by being grateful for where they are or who are get distracted by feeling successful or by ticking certain boxes or who get, you know, kind of swept up in what I call like the productivity hamster wheel where everyone else is telling you you're so successful and you're doing a good job and you're ticking all these boxes and it's gratifying. It feels really good. If you're in that position and you're not unhappy, but you're not necessarily fulfilled either, but you're just blah, you could sit in that position for decades and never really know what you're missing out on. Because if you don't try anything else, you won't have a comparison to know that actually you're missing out on something that really does invigorate you. So I actually really enjoyed my three to four years that I spent there. I made the most of everything. I met so many people. I was in every club. Like I was that annoying over enthusiastic person who started my own committee if there wasn't one that I wanted to join. (laughs) I got to travel and again I learned from the most wonderful people and it wasn't until a very what I now refer to as a very happy accident and the second big sliding doors moment of my life that I got to see by contrast that actually what I thought was happiness was just coasting and just accepting sort of the status quo and that I was I was settling for good and missing out on great but but for one small thing which turned out to be a parasite in africa of all things i would never have known that and that just gives me shivers to think if you're fine you won't go looking for anything else and i could have easily gone on for 10 20 30 years at my law firm and thought that i had a really amazing life and i don't mean be ungrateful and don't appreciate what you have and always be looking for the next thing but i think we're at risk of settling for things sometimes when they tick a lot of boxes that other people think are fancy so what happened was I ended up in uh, Rwanda, in Africa. My now husband, he likes to say he's never had a job. He's always run his own business and uh, he has a creative agency that had supported a big charity, uh, the funds of which went to a school. So we got to visit the school as part of um, a sponsor trip. And two things happened there. The first was that I expected, particularly having been adopted and come from an orphanage, I expected Just the gratitude to multiply for everything that we have in Australia and for everything they don't have over there, which was one conscious level of what I felt, but the subconscious thing that shocked me was that I actually saw more pure happiness on the children there playing with a leaf for 12 hours and being so enamored with nature and the, the, you know, they don't have dirt floors, but they were just so joyful. And the adults would break into the song because they couldn't contain their happiness to see each other in their bodies. And yet back home, we have everything, but we're just so anxious about having more of that stuff. And for the first time, I was like, wait, are happiness and success not the same thing? I, I'd never seen happiness without success, as I understood it. So I was like, these people don't have the prospects and opportunities and money and things and choices that we do, but they're happier. What is that about? And the other thing I came home with was a gut parasite, as I mentioned, Mm -hmm. which um, for the first five kilos was a great way to lose pounds. And then after that was not a very pleasant experience that led me to uh being so out of touch with my health at the time, I was one of those corporates that was like up at five to go to spin and then I ate a broccoli and then I'd work for 20 hours and have 10 coffees and was like, why am I feeling good? Like, <laughs> I ate my broccoli. I don't understand I what, what this is, is. About. <laughs> I'm so confused. And then I just burnt myself into the ground, not paying attention to the fact that I'd lost 15 kilos, could barely get up. And uh, my body decided I wasn't learning my lesson. So it collapsed and I took nearly three months off work having to you know, learn that I had limits and learn how to nourish myself and eat properly and not drink 10 cups of coffee a day and three hours sleep and think that I was going to survive. And it was in that process that I was banned from coffee while I had recovered because it was too much of a stimulant uh, for my adrenal system and discovered matcha powder, which was obviously the basis of the first business that started as a complete hobby and ended up turning into a business. And Now that I look back, I mean, but for a string of events that I had very little control over and could never have planned or predicted, I would never have had the chance or to even have an idea to have a business. I wasn't looking to leave. I wasn't looking to be a business owner. But now that I'm here, all the dots line up Mm. and make so much sense. But I think what I've become so passionate about is that if that If my autopilot circuit that I had gotten on hadn't been broken, who would have broken it for me? Maybe no one and maybe not ever. Mm. So now what I'm really passionate about is helping other people to break that circuit by themselves to stop and think like, am I here because I'm automatically ended up here by default or am I here because I chose to be here? And even if you choose to go back to your exact same life, at least you can say you chose it. You didn't just end up there because you were on a conveyor belt and then you were like, oh shit, I'm 50. Like where have
1: where even am I? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I love that. And if we're looking at say like uh, someone's individual balance, like it's a question of, are you there for lack of considering other options or are you there because you're owning it? And everything we do on the, on the podcast is really about empowering people to own their own balance and whatever that looks like at different points in their life. So I think that sitting down, reflecting and asking yourself the question okay, like what am I doing? Does that fulfill me? Or am I happy with that? Or is there something else I want to be doing? And being self-critical about your productivity hamster wheel or the things that you do as hobbies, the people you spend your time with is really key like you said, to break the circuit and just to make sure that it's an active choice rather than a passive one. Um, But I suppose Mm -hmm. this leads us to the whole concept of seizing your yay. And I was when I was reading your book, and mind you, I haven't read a book in a long time where I just have to power through it and like not, (laughs) but I just felt like I was reading it. And I was like, this feels like a diary entry I've written, like, it's just so relatable, love, you know, all the concepts. But one thing you said in particular was, That seizing your yay has to strike a balance between a dedicated effort on one hand and acceptance on the other. So it's like this push and pull between, you know, making that effort, but really surrendering to what is. So when you talk about breaking the circuit, and and I guess paired with that sort of concept, how would you describe or how would you give people advice on how to actually seize a yay or find their yay, even start with?
0: Yeah, it's such a hard one. And particularly, it's particularly difficult when you're anything like I was at that time, where you had just never indulged in any other passions or interests because you never even thought that you would have them. Like, I remember once sort of saying off the cuff, like, oh, I don't think I'll be a lawyer forever. Like, I wasn't unhappy there, but I did think that maybe I would go on to do diplomacy or something else you know like but like decades down the track and someone said oh well what would you do instead like what are you passionate Mm -hmm. about and I I remember actually not being able to answer that question Mm -hmm. and thinking about that now how can you not know what you like it's like the most fundamental basic question about knowing yourself but I was that detached from what did make me yay because and it wasn't like because I was a terrible person or I hadn't done the work or whatever. It was literally just because I had only made decisions based on societal norms of success and based on stability and based on other, they are still basic human needs. We do need stability and certainty and we do need direction. And I also say like, you know, when you are saying um, about the push and pull thing, like the other thing is everything happens at the time that it's supposed to happen as well. And if I would tried to start a business three years earlier, I wouldn't have had enough experience in the workforce in any role, let alone just as a lawyer, but I wouldn't have been, you know, I wouldn't have seen enough of the world. So I think looking back, the the best thing you can do if you don't know where you want to go is firstly, don't think of your passion as like a destination that you're going to arrive at. You're not going to just wake up one day and have your dream job. Like, I think I'm doing my dream job now, but Matcha Maiden was like fives before what I'm doing right now. And that was five steps after. The first thing that I did. So I think we we're so instant gratuity based that we want to be living a life that we're purposeful and passionate about. We want it tomorrow. Firstly, it doesn't happen like that. Your yay is not a destination that you arrive at. Even though I definitely chased that for a while. I thought when I started Matcha Maiden and the business started going well that I was a fun entrepreneur and that was the end. Like I would never have another another project again. I'd never need to step out of my comfort zone again because I'd found my passion. But even my passion has started to change. Like. I think what's more important is don't necessarily, like if, you're why, if you find your why, the ha- the why stays the same, but the how will change over time. So be okay if you don't have this static answer of what you're passionate about right now. It will unravel in chapters and it can be a lot slower than you expect. It takes a lot of patience to end up where you actually are meant to end up and a lot of learning along the way. But the very first exercise I ever did, because I was so out of touch, I had absolutely no like practice in observing whether I enjoyed something or not, because that wasn't the the criteria I used. I used, is it successful? Have I achieved something? Is it productive? Mm -hmm. Was that over a period of time, I started trying different things that I'd never tried before and writing down in a journal how I felt after I tried them, like so basic. But going back after a couple of months and looking back and circling the things that appeared the most Like it's that, it's almost like treating yourself as a research project. If you're that out of touch with who you are, sometimes you have to get to know yourself the same way as you would if you were studying yourself. Like what does give me that feeling of joy? When do I forget what time it is? What makes me smile without knowing that I've smiled? What are those things that just give you that feeling of, yay, like you're a kid again and you're running around and you're so excited? And I, the list that I first had, From that list, it's not clear how you would make that into a job. Like, how would you make drawing, having conversations, like before podcasts existed, health food, drawing logos, doodling, like doing languages, like none of those things all made sense in a job, but they were the first pieces of the puzzle. Yes, And now the best way that I kind of describe finding your yay is it's a jigsaw puzzle everything you do is either adding more pieces that you didn't know or getting rid of pieces that don't work anymore so rather than waking up with this complete picture tomorrow just start now changing little things and tweaking along the way based on the feedback you get from yourself that did it feel good yes why or did it not feel good no why not and then you're constantly just tweaking this jigsaw puzzle that will allow you step by step to get there and so i kind of another way to describe it rather than Um, a jigsaw puzzle is a staircase. You don't have to see the whole staircase to take the first step. And so looking back at me then, I wish that I'd been able to step out of the law firm, go full time, start a podcast and do what I do now. But actually there are about 50,000 mini steps along the way, which was first start an online store with one bag of matcha, then sell five bags of matcha, then sell 10. Then it was eight months before I left my job. Then it was another year before we had a staff member and another two years after that, you know, before we started to upscale and I took a wage. And then it was five years after that, before I started the podcast. So everything does unravel in smaller steps than you think. And as long as you're taking baby steps, they're still moving you in the right direction. And as long as you're starting to be dictated more by what you love and what you're good at, rather than what other people think that you should do then I think you'll be taking steps in the right direction. I'm so inarticulate today. I think I I make sense. (laughs) I'm like, am I
1: even saying what I mean? (laughs) You're making beautiful sense. And actually something you just said that really stood out to me, which I haven't actually thought about before, rather than thinking, okay, what are all the things that light me up? Just start thinking about the why behind the things you enjoy, because that is honestly a constant. Like if I look at all the things that I'm doing, that I enjoy, like the underlying why behind all of them is connecting and helping other people that's my why so you know whether I'm cooking and that's you know for for a bunch of people that's the same why but like you said you may not be able to directly have a job out of the things you enjoy but that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a career it can form part of your play which we'll go into a little bit later or form part of you know your enjoyment or your downtime or your self-care so I really love that and the other thing that stood out to me with the whole you know journaling and keeping a log I guess of how things are making you feel it's it's a lot like how you would if you had to keep a journal or diary of foods you're eating because things are upsetting your stomach, literally you'll you'll notice straight away if things are making you feel good or bad and it doesn't feel weird to keep track of that. So I think we should mm. kind of normalize it and put it on the same level as that because you really are just reflecting on your body. You're just tuning in, noticing how, and I think people is another big one as well, like the energy you get from people and situations, but absolutely, and then that's when you can start adding more of the things that make you feel good or taking away the things that make you feel bad. And on that note, I did want to tie in and don't mean to butcher your phrase um, and apologies if you have used this already, but the concept of seizing your nay, because I feel like, when we talk about uh, balance, right, a lot of people would look at that and go, okay, that means you have to be like work-life balance all the time. You have to be really cool, calm, collected, like have your shit together basically 24-7. But it's absolutely not the case. Balance is a combination. It's the ebbs and flows of life. It's all the ups and downs. And it's about navigating those waves of life. And so I think as much as we have to seize our yay, it's also about how we seize our nay. And I think really it's those moments, the anti-yay, if I can coin it that, the anti-yay moments, because crappy days come and go, you know, like, I mean, you guys are in lockdown at the moment, and that comes in unexpected waves, and that kind of throws you off your course, so in, I guess what I want to ask you is, how do you seize your nay, what are your kind of tactics or habits or things you turn to when you're not feeling you know, the best, because people may look at you and go, oh, spoonful of Sarah or CZA, you know, podcast host, she's always happy. But I think if we're always chasing this ideal of happiness, we don't give ourselves permission to feel down and all those other emotions that, you know, we deem negative, but really just are a part of life.
0: Oh my gosh, that's so, so important. And I don't think there is any. complete theory of happiness or fulfillment or purpose or joy or whatever you want to call it that can't account for how you are on the bad days and that they are going to come and there's always going to be challenges and there'll always be uncontrollable things that pop up in whatever form and kind of yeah rain on your parade or as I say are a nay to your yay but I think there's a couple of things that sprung to mind There are areas of our life that we can control and make choices in. And of course, there are areas that we can't. But there's already going to be enough challenge in life that comes your way that does throw you into turmoil or that does, you know, there are so many things that are going to happen that will be difficult that I think don't go out of your way to add more of those in the areas of your life that you can control. So. Obviously, if you have a choice, choose the things like life is too short and there is already enough shit out there that if in the areas of your life you can control, that is where you should be seizing your joy. That is where you shouldn't be living your life for someone else's values or someone else's skills or, you know, being bogged down comparison or self-doubt or judgment or 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 living through other people's expectations or norms or whatever, like that's where I think we should be seizing our yay. In the area that we can actually control our lives and control our choices. That's where In food, in career, in everything, we're constantly, the the details of other people's lives has never been more visible. And that's why we are so easily influenced by, oh, well, she's on keto and that made her look like that and feel like that, so it will work for me. Similarly, the same thing happens in happiness. Well, leaving her job and starting a business made her, her happy. But I know people who left their job and hated running their own business because it distracted them enormously from their actual talent. Whereas in an employment structure, that makes them thrive because they don't have to worry about staff and insurance and accounting and all those things. So I think in the areas of life where you can control your choices, you have much more choice than you actually think and it's on you to exercise that in the way that you know makes makes sense for you. It's so much more simple than we we actually like we overcomplicate things so much, but something someone said recently that really helped me was do more of what feels good and less of what doesn't. And so- it's just so obvious. Like if something feels crappy, just don't do it. If yeah. someone feels crappy, just don't be around them. If something feels really good, try and structure your life in a way that allows you to do more of that. But then there are always going to be things that you can't control. And that is the area of the of your life where I think that surrender concept comes in. In the things you can control, you want to push. You want to push and make good decisions and take active control over your circumstances rather than being passive and let, letting life happen to you. In the areas you can't control, a quote that really helps me is the five-by-five rule. If it's not going to matter in five years, don't give it more than five minutes. That helps me let go of things that I can't control. But also just to remember, like... It's often in the negative times that that we can't choose and that we would obviously um, like to avoid if we could. But if you look back at those real times of growth and transformation in your life, it never came from when things are rosy. No. It never came from when things turned out exactly as you planned them or as, or if you, you know, achieve the dream or kick the goal that you wanted. Of course, those times in life are wonderful and important, but actually it's really the discomfort zone where we have our biggest growth and revelations and lessons because that's when you're not having things go your way and you are having to build resilience and get through some tough times and so I almost have become a discomfort junkie where when (laughs) things are going too smoothly I I worry I've become complacent I mean I don't want to go and you know I I don't want to thrive off drama and like go and search for chaos but if it does come my way I think one thing that helps me get through it is firstly to let it happen to you and not to be that person that's like, I have to be happy all the time. My identity is yay. So therefore like I have to suppress these emotions because you can't heal from something that you deny is happening to you. So always let yourself sit in feeling shit or feeling low or feeling tired or, or jaded or whatever your negative emotions are, they give richness to the positive emotions. If we mm. were happy all the time, you wouldn't know that it was happy because it would feel be No point of
1: reference, yeah.
0: Yeah, so let yourself feel that because you're feeling it for a reason and usually it's trying to tell you, some, you, you something. But then once it happens, I think there's a point where you kind of draw a line in the sand and start to look for the lesson.
1: Just a quick word from the sponsor of today's podcast. If you haven't paid any attention to the quality of your gym accessories or feel like the ones you have kill your vibe just a little, then this is for you. ESFit is a brand I've co-founded with my best friend to bring all fitness lovers, the confidence to sweat in style. I'm talking considered luxe fitness accessories ranging from cotton bands that don't roll or dig to full-size sweat towels that cover you from head to toe and actually don't take up all the space in your bag. The list goes on but you can check it all out for yourself at esfit.com.au or on Instagram at esfit double underscore and for all my beautiful balances we're offering $15 off at the checkout when you use the code balance.
0: There is always a lesson and it's not always clear straight away, but there's usually something, some point of growth, something that it taught you from. Another one I really like is you never know what worse luck your bad luck saved you from. Mm. So in the case of setbacks or failures in business, for example, even though they feel like the end of the world at the time. I always think, well, this has saved me because I've learned not to make those mistakes next time when it could have been much bigger. Like yep. if I made a five thousand dollar mistake, that saved me from ever making that again. When it's a fifty thousand dollar mistake, yeah. And I, th- I think re- resilience isn't not reacting when something bad happens or like you know snapping back from it straight away. It's actually the ability to let yourself go through really tough times, feel those things, take the pause that you need to, but then find the lesson and learn from every single one of those because those times come to you to teach you something because that's a learning phase. The positive times are like the enjoyment and the, like, you know, you deserve to enjoy those times, but that's not when you're going to learn the most or grow the most. So of course, yeah,
1: of course. And that's actually a really nice way to describe balance. It's like your learning moments and then your enjoyment moments. And really it's just a dance, constant dance between the two. And the reason I like that is because, It's that concept of you either win or you learn. There's no like Mm. failing. But on the concept of failing, if we just detour slightly, I love tangents. I'm like tangent queen. I'm sure. Oh my god, you listen to my podcast my whole life, (laughs) tangent. (laughs) But um, I love this concept, and I know you mentioned in the book as well of like failing forward, because it really is this idea that even if you fall, you're moving forward you're moving in you know like the right direction it's always kind of pushing you like I get this visual of like you being pushed into the direction you're supposed to go so often at times it can feel like you know you're being slogged you're you're just like it's a really negative thing but when you think about it long term exactly like what you just said now it's it's a lesson but I just like the way you called it failing forward because it really is about like Projecting into the future, and and another analogy I I really quite like is this idea of like a bow and arrow, and it's like before you can be slingshot slingshot, is that how you say in past <laughs> tense? <laughs> Does that make sense? Sort yeah, of that, yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, to be slingshot into the future, uh you need to be pulled back first. You know, like a bow and arrow. So I quite like that as well. Yeah. And when you feel like you're failing or not progressing, it's almost like life's just preparing to thrust you forward. So I love that concept as well, failing forward.
0: totally. And I think we underestimate the power that the way you word things and categorize them in your mind actually has over the way your emotions respond to them. So just by tweaking that wording and every time you have a setback thinking of it as going two steps backwards, uh, sorry, one step backwards to take two steps forward or the other way around, whatever it is. If Because I love that quote and I have it written everywhere talking about failing forwards, it means that I always see it that way because I've conditioned my mind to see failure. Like I used to automatically put it in the shame, negative, avoid that at all costs category. But if you start to change the way you think about things and you think about a failure or a setback as an opportunity to project you forward and bigger and better than you were before, then it's almost like the painful part is made so much shorter because yes, you still sit in the pain and embarrassment and awkwardness and and loss. Sometimes there is a loss of money or there is a consequence that's really uncomfortable, but it lasts a lot less of, yeah, you know, it takes up absolutely. a lot less of your life and your energy because very quickly your brain goes, oh, but remember this is failing forwards, right? So all you have to do now is just move your brain to the forwards bit. Like, when's that going to come? And I feel like that's why, like, sometimes I think I love quotes so much and I'm like, oh, that's really it's really juvenile and like kitsch of you to do that. But I realize so much of it is just how you word hmm. things around you and that that actually triggers in your mind, the reaction that you're going to have. And the other thing you said about uh, those negative times that I forgot to mention, that's really important is there are going to be times where you are resilient enough, or you have the tools or you've practiced enough to go, oh, this is a failure, but I'm failing forwards or by yourself. And the more you practice that, the more your brain will be able to do it. But there are going to be other times where it is so consuming that you can't pull yourself out by yourself because we are in our own heads and it's totally natural and human to just get totally overcome and overwhelmed by certain negative days, especially if there's a troll or a hater or something that is really quite nasty. It's it, to take it personally is only human. So on those days, it's okay to phone a friend. And in fact, if you don't, you're kind of depriving yourself of a really important tool. And I think particularly as women, we tend to think I should be a coper. I should be able to do this by myself. But no one who has ever been successful or lived a fulfilling life, even if the story is sometimes told as an individual story, no one has gone there alone ever, Mm. ever. No one has gotten through self-doubt, comparison, imposter syndrome, burnout, Anything that's negative or a barrier to fulfillment and success, no one has ever done that without having a good network of people around them who in the moment where you're like, I'm a failure, I'm not worthy, I can't do this, you call someone and they go, you can, you're amazing. You're just in your own head and let me get you out of it. Yeah. And so if you have five, you know, that quote, you're the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with. If you have five people around you who are going to go, yeah, you're right. Like it is a bit risky. Maybe you should just shut up shop. And there will be friends like that. If you call them, who? what do you think is going to echo the most? The doubts. Yeah. Because if you call your mates who are like, yeah, you're going to do it. <laughs> like s- screw the lot of them, you know, you're going to, that's going to echo. So I feel like craft your environment really carefully as well to surround yourself with the life that you are trying to emulate. Because I love my corporate friends. I still have such good friends from my law days, but the same way that I started off very risk-averse and certainty-based, my job was to find everything that could go wrong and avoid it at all costs. So if I asked lawyers what their opinion was, they were going to think the exact same thing as I was. Oh, that's too risky. If I wanted to be told you should do the business, I had to talk to business owners. Like just be be sensible about who you go to for what advice.
1: Yeah. And it just goes to show how important the people you choose to have close to you really, really is. Um, So on this topic, you did mention a little bit about imposter syndrome. And I feel like that does crop up a lot, especially when we are in that discomfort zone, when we're trying something for the first time, whether it's starting a new business, project, hobby, um, even just, you know, joining a new sports team, it's that discomfort. It's, It's that feeling of, oh, you know, like, is this really me? Is, am I, you know, do I belong here? Those sorts of questions and self-doubt, it does creep in. Um, But I I remember reading a a part in your book and I hope I'm not giving too much away for anyone who hasn't read it, but like there were just so many one-liners. I was actually like folding way too many of the edges. (laughs) But (laughs) you you said, dream big enough to excite you to start, but small enough so you actually can. And I think this is so refreshing because you always hear, you know, like dream big, um, you know, like the sky's the limit, all these types of things. But when you're really sick about it, if you just focus on that end goal, that dream, it's really overwhelming to think. Like, I mean, I'm I'm sure if I ask you now, when you started, if I said to you, like, aim for a podcast, aim for like a really successful business, um, aim for, you know, to write a book and a second book and all these things, like you would have felt super overwhelmed at the beginning. And so I think that piece, that second part, small enough so you actually can, or like it just creates this, pragmatic part and makes it really, really tangible. So I guess my question to you is, do you have any tips for anybody sitting in this zone where they have a dream or they have a vision or something or just a goal, but it just feels that bit overwhelming?
0: Yeah, I love that you mentioned that because that's probably my favorite part of the book because it that like forum was the first time i'd actually given a name to that philosophy i'd never actually realized that that's what what i was doing but i'd always wondered like why do i find it a lot easier than say some of my friends to just start random things like what is it it's not that i'm any less afraid to look silly because i definitely care what other people think it's not that i love being a beginner because i definitely am an a type who likes to overachieve like what is it and i think it's that my brain it was just automatically dreaming big, but tempering that with like only compartmentalizing to just think about the immediate next step. And that's always been my coping mechanism. Like even when I clean, some people get paralyzed about cleaning because there's so much to do. I just focus on a corner and then I moved out of the corner. Like I look back and I'm like, I've always done that. I didn't know that I was doing that, but it comes back to what I was saying at the very beginning in a less eloquent way. I feel like I don't have words today, but the whole idea that, you know, you do think you have to you have to implement and live the dream right now. Like straight away, I need to have a scalable business that's in thousands and thousands of stockists and a podcast that has millions of downloads. But A, everyone starts from zero. Mm -hmm. And B, if you tried to start that big thing at the beginning, you wouldn't have the skills, you wouldn't be the person you needed to, it would probably fall over because you, you did start too big. So I just think there's so much value in going in small incremental steps that you can cope with because we are living in a world where you don't need a degree to start a business you don't need a lot of capital it's so accessible it's such a democratized landscape which is so exciting which means you can wing it as you go and learn along the way. And in fact, it's better to do that because the world moves so quickly that everything you do last year is already irrelevant and redundant. So even if you had spent 20 years getting it ready for launch, like by now, all of that information would be outdated anyway. Mm. So it's almost like I've gone from not having, I've gone from literally having a 50 year plan to embracing, not having a five minute plan and to being okay that nothing's ever perfect, because if it's perfect for today, it won't last tomorrow. So it's kind of flipping everything on its head that rather than needing every situation to be accounted for, all your brain and energy and mind needs to focus on is what is the next immediate thing that you can do? You can physically only do one thing at a time anyway. So why are you wasting energy on the thing that's not going to matter until 10 months down the track? And by that time, we could be in COVID and it's irrelevant. You know, I think- If anything, if COVID has taught us anything, it is to be more agile and it is to safeguard yourself by not, you know, investing too heavily in 10 year plans because yeah. they just, they don't suit the landscape today. So I think it's, it favors this dream big, plan small method, because not only does that help you begin and not be too overwhelmed, it actually just gives you a to-do list. Yeah, And when you really look at it, you know, I sort of go back to why, why we were able to do what we did. If I thought that I was starting Matcha Maiden as a proper business, firstly, I didn't even call it a business. It was just because Nick and I had discovered Matcha. We ordered some, it was too much. It was 2 million serves too many for two people to finish by the use of date. So literally too much for two people. And we just wanted to sell some to get rid of it. If I had even thought I was starting a business to sell, like to put it out there to the public, even that was too scary for me. Cause I had a job. Mm. I didn't know anything about business. I didn't want to look stupid. I was used to looking good at what I did because I'd spent 10 years studying for it. That alone would have been too scary, let alone trying to sell to thousands of people and put it all out on the internet and have my name to it and all of that stuff. It worked so well for me that our only goal was to sell one bag. And that's now how I try and approach everything. If you can sell one, all you need to do is sell one bag, because if you sell one and you get the equipment, you need to put one bag together, you can sell 10. And if you can sell 10, you can sell 50. If you can sell 50, you can sell 100. And if you get to 100 and you can't, you know, get to the next level of 150 without new equipment, you buy it then. You don't buy it at the start. You don't like try and scale too hard too fast because you'll get overwhelmed. You won't have the experience. And also if you just put your product out there or service or whatever it is, you have the chance for real-time feedback. Social mm. media and the digital landscape means that your customers can tell you straight away if they don't like what you're doing or if it doesn't work for whatever reason. Mm. So if we'd invested like ten thousand dollars in perfect bags that were tested and done all these research, blah blah, blah and then we launched it and our customers were like, mm, "It's not really waterproof." Mm. We wouldn't. We would have wasted all that money because we we like preempted too much. Like there's such a thing as over planning. Yes. So I think. Yeah. Talk yourself down to like, even just make a list. What are the next three to five literal things? And I mean, like Google getting an ABN yeah, or Google business name registration. You actually can't do anything until you've done those two things. So why do you need to like, you know, get your think website ready? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Or like, think about, I remember stressing, we'd been about three months in and I was stressing about well, how are we going to ship to America? Like, where are we even going? And I spent all this time looking at third party fulfillment warehouses in the states before we'd sold like 10 bags in australia what a waste <laughs> of my already limited time to have my head so far ahead in the future when it wasn't actually a problem yet so i think yeah try and it it sounds counterintuitive because dreaming big is like such a popular way of thinking which you do need to dream beyond your circumstances so you you move on from where you are but if it's too big that it convinces you it's too hard it's going to scare you off yes. so maybe just dream a little smaller, (laughs) as weird as that sounds. But you do need to combat overwhelm. You do need to combat self-doubt. And you do need to combat imposter syndrome because we all have it all the time. It's so natural. So that is a reality you have to deal with. And I think if you can... You know how people talk about biohacking, like how can we hack our bodily systems to make us perform faster? It's just like mental hacking. If mm. you can hack your own thought processes and you know what your brain's going to do, if my brain's overwhelmed, it's shut down. It just yeah. goes, nah, I'm not going to start at all because that's just, that's I'm going to look stupid. I'm going to hate it. Whereas if I go, I just need to sell one bag. I'm like, yeah, I talk myself through to the worst case scenario and I'm like, probably could do that. And if I don't, no one's going to know it's me. No one's going to care. No one's even going to notice because I won't put my name on it. Like talk yourself through to the worst case scenario. It's nowhere near as bad as you think it is.
1: Absolutely. And it's like it's like that um, phrase when they talk about like starting a habit. Like if you want to floss your teeth every single day, for example, and you just say, okay, I'm just going to floss one tooth. Like by the time you get there, you're flossing them all anyway. But the thing I love most about this approach is it is it's not it's not discouraging in the sense where like shrink your dream, but it's more like, compartmentalize it so you can actually see the roadmap to get there. Because I feel like if you're here and your dream is all the way over there, it, there's like a disconnect. But all the steps do is they really just clear the path and and make that quite... Um, it makes it really attainable. And I think the only thing I would add to what you're saying is like, you know, you said... Um, if your dream's too big, maybe shrink it a little bit, then maybe you just need to bring the postmark down a little bit so that you can bridge the steps. And then once you get there, you can then think about the next bridge you know, the next mm. lot of steps. And I think this approach works for everything. If you need, if you're thinking about exiting a relationship or changing jobs or, you know, trying out something new, it's the same sort of thing. It doesn't have to be a dream in the sense where it's a goal that you're trying to smash through the ballpark. If, if it's just anything that's overwhelming to you, or you feel like it's uncomfortable, then this is such a good way to do it. You just compartmentalize it. Put your energy on the next thing, which is really the one thing you can control. You can't control what's going to happen in a few months' time. Like you said, COVID, things external come in and, and shake up your world. But focusing on the next step is such good advice, I think, for everything and all the areas of our balance, which, you know, cover your health relationships and your areas of fulfillment. So I love that part of the book. And if anyone listening can't tell, like I'm obviously recommending you all go read it too, because it's it's really fantastic. It's really, really great. Um, but I guess one of the last things I wanted to touch on with you was this concept of play. And you've got a beautifully crafted poem, which introduces your podcast. Um, it goes along the lines of we work and we rest, but rarely we play. And, I think that playing is a really key ingredient to our balance. And the reason I love it so much is because it's separate from rest. So I would love for you to (laughs) sort of talk to that, because I think a lot of people will categorize that all in one, especially in your traditional. So a little bit of background, like the reason I started the balance theory is because I felt quite dissatisfied with the whole work-life balance formula. I felt like it pinned work and life as two things that are not You know, they can't cross over and you have to be 50-50 in both. And you would know, you know, even from running your own business or from being in corporate, most people spend majority of their time at work. So already that balance is totally unequal right and then people have all this pressure in their spare time to be these idyllic like holistic human beings and i just feel like it's so restrictive so rather than that we say okay you've got your health your relationships and your fulfillment and your balance at any given point in your life is going to look like a different combination across any of those my theory is as long as you have your foot in each of those baskets to some degree, the level to which you, you know, exert yourself in each of those areas is just depends on where you're at in life. But then I think this concept of play um, kind of touches on all of them, to be honest, maybe it's like a fourth layer I need to add in. But I would love for you to sort of talk about how and why you included it in your uh, podcast in your concepts.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it's exactly what you said, really, that it started off for me as a very linear equation, like work-life balance kind of implies on-off. And so there's really only two options. There's mm-hmm. work and rest. And as I mentioned, you know, the when I first started at the law firm, I was obviously firstly, a lot younger. So had a lot more energy than I do now and probably could push myself a lot further with less rest and less good nutrition and all of those things as you can when you're younger, but inevitably ended up burning out at a point because I just didn't respect that I had limits. So that first level of learning for me was, oh, there's a thing called rest. Like my whole life had just been on, 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 on. And because I'm so excited about life and because I have that, like probably underlying sense of gratitude not consciously from the adoption, but maybe that's why I am so like, well, I can't waste this moment because I feel subconsciously so lucky to be here. Burnout has been something quite consistent through my life. So that was a really big awakening to realize rest has to play a role for, you know, everything up has to go down. You have to learn to eat well and sleep and exercise, but very quickly, that became another box ticking exercise of like, have I meditated? Have I gone to the gym enough times this week? Have I done even things like yoga? They're so relaxing and they're so good for you, but it's still ticking a box for me. That's like, have I been to my class? And I'd almost stress about like got that schedule as well. Like my rest schedule was as hard as my work schedule because it was still all, it's all part of something that's productive for your body.
1: Yes. And, and- I think a lot of people will resonate with that as well.
0: And what ended up happening was once I started uh, Matcha Maiden and it went incredibly well, you know, I I had, I thought that was the entirety of seizing my yay. I thought I'd found my life. As I mentioned before, I thought I've stepped out of my comfort zone, pat myself on the back. This is me. I never need to take any hard steps again in my life. I found my passion. A couple of years in, like we started the cafe a year after that as a kind of natural extension of Matcha Maiden uh, and that's called Matcha Milk Bar. So that added even more to the plate. And because I thought it felt good, like, oh, this feels amazing because I love what I do and, it, and they say if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Then firstly, I forgot about rest and I burnt out again because I started having even less incentive to rest because all of the work that I did, wasn't for someone else and I could see the direct benefit of it. And, and I loved it so much, but not only that, I realized, well, when you love what you do and all you're doing is working and resting Like you're never getting any, you're always, firstly, there's always something productive. You're never getting any outside perspective if you're not having downtime. And there is is such a thing as too much of a good thing. You can overwork yourself even in a job that never feels like you're working because your brain has a limited capacity. Like it's an organ. Mm. It needs rest. It needs downtime. And we are not on this earth. It took me a really long time to realize this, but we're not here to just work and die. Even if you love your job, Mm. working and Resting, it's just missing this whole element of life that is for leisure. And I realized like because I had turned my passion into my work, my passions used to be my hobbies on the side that had no deadline, no monetary, you know, no, there were no criteria that I had to meet. I just did them for fun. I just doodled and I just, you know, did it for the joy of it, not thinking anything about productivity or metrics or success or making money. But once I made that my job, I hadn't replaced it with anything else. And you get stale. You get really stale only being in your work, even if you love it, you miss out on a whole element of life and you get jaded. And I burnt out a third time, which is so embarrassing because it's the most hypocritical thing that I was out there telling people to live their best life and drink matcha because it makes you well. And I was like quietly actually dying behind the scenes because I couldn't manage myself. And I realized like by making my work, the only thing that I have, I actually made myself a worse worker. I was like not doing the business a service. I wasn't doing myself a service. I was just literally letting everyone down on all fronts because I was also taking rest too seriously as a project. So I realized rather than linear, it's a triangle at all times. There's a triangle that's like, and I like the symmetry of it as well. It's like much more balanced that there's three peaks that we always have to be looking at and everyone, no matter what you do will benefit from taking time for just joy that's got no productive outcome that isn't even good for you necessarily but that is something you allow yourself to do because it brings you so much happiness inside and that's infectious to every other area of your life Mm. all my best ideas have come when i've gone and done something completely unrelated because i think the problem is when you do a job particularly in wellness, wellness kind of affects every area of your life. So I'd go to yoga, but I'd be like, maybe this yoga studio could stock matcha, or maybe that font that they're using, I could get that font for my like, You know, everywhere in the world, you see triggers for work thinking. So to do something that's so unrelated, even for like half an hour a week. It's just a reset. Just, it just, yeah, it just is a reset that gives you space. It gives your brain space to forget the to-do list. And the way I describe it, if you don't know what that activity is, Think about what makes you forget the time. Mm. We always know what time it is because we have a schedule and because we're like on. We always know how long we've been doing something. But if there's an activity that consumes you so much that you forget what day it is and what time it is, even just for a tiny amount of time, that's flow. Yes, That's joy. You're so immersed in it that you forget where and when you are. There could not be anything more replenishing for you that makes you better at work. If that's If it's about being better at work, like, see it as a productive thing that way if you have to, but yeah, play is just the the little pocket of joy and bliss that isn't for anything except the enjoyment of it.
1: I love that. And so do you have uh, like a mini play or something you do daily that gives you that boost or is it more macro, like every week you try and do it?
0: Uh, I probably need to, because I know that I, like we were talking about before that whole like mental hacking thing, because I know that my default is just work, 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 because I love it. And I don't consciously have limits until I've gone too far and it's too late. I have to build it in every day, even if I don't feel like I need it because adrenaline, you know how they say, listen to your body. I can't (laughs) because I get adrenaline, which is fake energy. And I feel like I've got a lot of energy, but I actually have nothing in the tank. Right. So I need to, before I feel exhausted, take Some distance from what I'm doing. And for me, that's I'm the same as you. True crime and crime fiction are probably the only things that are so unrelated to joy and wellness that I can't workify them. Yeah. And I I've always enjoyed them. I've always enjoyed NCIS and Law and Order and like without a trace and numbers. And I used to think when I was watching TV, I was like, that's such a waste of time. Like I really need to cut this down. Now, I'm like, if I don't watch something every day that pulls my brain completely out of work, I don't feel balanced the next day. Yeah, I feel jaded. I don't feel ready to go back to work because I haven't done that exercise of decompression. It's just decompressing. Yeah. And you can't decompress from something while you're still doing it. So that is something for me that I either have to always have a new book or a new show and have at least like a half an hour per day and on the weekends more where... I put my phone away. I don't know how long I've been reading or whatever. I just do it until I feel like I've done enough. And sometimes that's two in the morning or if it's a really
1: good book. <laughs> <laughs> if it's crime and going cover to cover. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. I have never been better at what I do than when I have, when it's not been the only thing that I do.
1: Yeah. And and that's, it is something you say in the book too. You can't, you can't do a good job if it's the only thing you do or something along those lines. Um, But yeah, I totally agree. And like, even it's so funny you just said that because I was literally in the same boat. Like if I watch Netflix and stuff, like I'm bludging. I'm not doing anything productive, but now I like do it. And I'm like, oh, this is so refreshing. Like I just, I don't have to be anywhere except here. And I also find that with cooking as well. Especially if I'm mm-hmm. like, I I really enjoyed when Sydney was in. Well, not that I enjoyed when Sydney was in lockdown, but it did give me the flexibility to just cook, and without an agenda, without having to have people over, without having to be done by a certain time. So. I totally love that. And I think it's a key ingredient to our balance. Absolutely. And something people should consciously try and even if you can think of like a mini play, something you can do daily, whether it is having a bath or, you know, your half an hour podcast or your half an hour reading, whatever that looks like for you, just to distinguish between rest and work, you know, and all the other things that go on in your life but I just wanna thank you so, so much for your time. I know you're a busy woman um, and I, yeah, as I said, I've been a big fan for a long time. So it's been really, really nice chatting today, but if people wanna connect with you a little bit more, I mean, I'll definitely pop links to the podcast in the show notes, but if they wanna reach out to you or follow your ongoing journey, where's the best place they can do so?
0: Oh, well, I live on the internet so they can find me anywhere there, but
1: I think Spoonful of Sarah is probably the best place because everything else is
0: linked to there
1: beautiful i'll pop a link to that but thank you so much i know everyone would have gotten a lot out of today and i am strongly recommending to everyone if you enjoyed today's chat to go over and check out the book too
0: thank you so much for having me you're welcome
1: and that's a wrap for this week balances thank you so much for tuning in i hope you found this episode useful to some degree in either steering or determining your definition of balance today As always, the biggest compliment for us is if you share this episode with someone who you feel might need it. Or if you're on Spotify, you can click follow or on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a rating or review. If you have any suggestions for up and coming podcasts, feel free to shoot us a DM or an email. Our Instagram is at the balance theory and our email is the balance theory podcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, you've always got the option of subscribing to our mailing list. We only send you email reminders when the episodes drop so you get them fresh out of the oven. No annoying spam, we promise. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week and until next time, stay balanced.